Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Good morning, everyone. You might recall on June 6th, um, a family was out for a walk in London's North End and a single male mounted the sidewalk as they waited to cross the intersection and he struck them. The driver attested to um, a hate-motivated attack that killed the family of four, and it was said that he laughed as police took him to custody. Regardless of whatever motivation he may have um, had for this, it was clear that the way he expressed his both zealous beliefs as well as his intolerance of opposing views was violent and unacceptable. So attacking a member of the religious sect may once have appeared utterly out of place in Canada, but according to a recent article published by Global News, the hate crimes against minorities is, are on the rise. Although many churches renounce this and other hate crimes, terrorists and Islamophobia are still rampant and no wonder with organizations like Salam Ministries who proclaim it's their job to actively convert Muslims. And this sends a message to their followers that um, it's not okay to be Muslim, it's not acceptably Muslim, and we have to change those people. Um, in addition, since the pandemic, there's been a huge spike in hate crimes against um, people for their sexual orientation. The LGBTQ Canadians have experienced more economic hardship during COVID than any other, um, than other non-LGBTQ people. A pastor in Regina Victory Church recently stated that um, if you promote choice, any choice acceptable, people will start to make it, begin to make it more. So he, he then he drew a connection between a person choosing pedophilia and choosing to be a Trump, and he encouraged his congregation to denounce gender fluidity with their own children. And unfortunately, the sermon was broadcast live for people to see. So what um, I'm trying to get is we live in a world that's divided by politics, religion, sexuality, and so much more. We live in a pluriverse, not a universe. Ours is a diverse age in which we have many differing and opposing, even sometimes mutual mismatch worldviews that threaten our, threaten our planetary human coexistence. In the midst of such chaos, confusion. How can we tolerate each other's differences? Should we even try? From my childhood Sunday school days, um, I learned of the story from the Jewish scriptures called the Tower of Babel. The lesson typically taught us about some prideful humans that got to uppity for their own britches, trying to build a city that reaches the heavens and the gods conspiring us to put us back in our place too often is overlooked in the story is the backstory, the original plan that they probably had for this glorious city. The way it all started out, the Tower of Babel was meant to be a crowning achievement of anything but Babel. The writer of the book of Genesis spun this mythical tale to provide an explanation of the obviously, of the obvious, namely that once um, there was humankind may have all spoken the same language with one unifying plan to build a place that all could dwell and abide with each other. It has long since been the case 
And the story would have us believe that to have created such a heavenly city, it would have to compete with God's. So Genesis offers us one reason, namely that gods, not just one God, but many gods decide to confuse and scatter this, us into the four winds. For all our babbling, we are unable or unwilling to hear or understand one another. Regardless of how we got here, what is clear, if, if we ever wanted to create something that resembled heaven on earth, we've missed the mark by a mile. Instead, in the midst of chaos and confusion, the kind of tolerance that comes with strife and division has been undesirable um, results ever since. Our Tower of Babel consists of pitched camps of shrill voices that seem to speak without listening. The church with a capital C is certainly not immune to such intolerance. Throughout my time, in the United Church as an outreach worker, start off with um, a youth minister and then a student minister. I've attended many churches, both affirming and not. And sometimes I think that the title affirming doesn't make a difference. At one affirming church, they literally locked the door on a homeless person trying desperately to get into the building. And I stood there in shock as an individual pounded on the door and everyone just tried to ignore the pounding. Another affirming church I attended didn't lock the door, but they did ask the homeless person to leave when he got up to talk to someone. He clearly didn't know the church rules and that was intolerable. Yet another church that is not affirming really did welcome all people with opening arms. And one Sunday, an indigenous man walked up to the mic during prayers of the people and he pled for some relief from his suffering as his brother and his wife had both just died. Yeah, he took about five minutes to get his words out, yet no one interrupted. They left him space. At the end of the service, there was a lineup of over 25 people waiting to hug this man and let him know that they heard his suffering. I think in our babble, we are unwilling or we aren't able to listen to the suffering of others. We are unwilling to place ourselves in the shoes of, of others who look different than us and we are willing to accept those who don't act like us. In our separateness, our scattering, we no longer are able to understand those who don't agree with us. So where has this tolerance come from? This leads me to ask, what would Jesus say about the situation? We see many times that Jesus spoke about and demonstrated over and over again in his words and his ways about the constant internal vision of God's reign, a fair justice, peace by nonviolent means, and love as the ultimate expression of forgiveness and reconciliation. For Jesus, anything that stood as dismissal of those core beliefs is what he himself found intolerable. So what were those things? For one thing, the Jesus character portrayed in the Gospels is far more tolerable of others than his counterparts, from whom he is constantly at odds with. He freely associated himself with the riffraff, whom those represented rep religious conve conventions of the day that they found so intolerable. For example, the Jesus of Luke's Gospel openly suggests the half-breed Samaritan is a better neighbor to a half-dead robber victim lying by the side of the road than the religious authorities who preach about love and of God and neighbor. Before we look further at this universal message expressed time and time again in Jesus' words, 
can we consider what creates not only attitude of intolerance, but affinity and even affection for those who might give it a try as well? Tolerance is more than resigned acceptance in the form of cold indifference. It's an openness, a willingness to acknowledge the very real and simple fact that we do not see things the same way because you and I, in fact, see things differently. To lovingly acknowledge this is a task at hand. Raymond Picard was a Roman Catholic priest and scholar of comparative religion. Born of a Spanish Catholic mother and a Hindu father, the large body of his work, um, his life centered around both diversity and expression of unifying principles of all religious traditions, sometimes expressed in simple and understandable terms. And here is a great quote from him. One of the metaphors I use is we are all seeing the world through a window. The cleaner the window, the less I see the window. I see through the window and in my fellows to say, look here, you're looking through a window. But then I have to tell him, sorry, but you are also looking through a window. We see the same landscape, but perhaps we see it in a different way. So we need each other. But here's another thing. I cannot say that I do not see what I see through my window. I don't see through the window of my neighbor. But if I love my neighbor, then I have to hear what my neighbor says. I discover my neighbor does not see the world as I see, but I also discover that I don't see the, the whole world. Because unless he's a fool and I'm a fanatic, I hear others telling me something about the world of reality something that they see through the window that I don't. You say what you hear, you say what you believe, you say what you experience. At the same time, you hear the other telling other narratives, other beliefs, and others experience, and then we dialogue. If we attempt to resume construction of the glorious city on that ancient plain of Shinar, it seems clear that the unifying tower that would strive to reach the heavens would indeed need to have many windows. Otherwise, we'd be doomed to spread our one-sided form of tribalism with the endless belligerent forms of our power. So if you stand for nothing, the old saying goes, you'll fall for anything, right? So for each of us, it seems that there ought to be a deeply held principle of conviction and beliefs that are non-negotiable that to argue, contradict, violate, and refute them would be such an invalid form of acceptance as to make those opposing principles unattainable, unacceptable, and intolerable. So what does a person of faith, when does a person of faith, faith practice such principled intolerance? When he touches such righteous intolerance with generosity of spirit, Jesus turns the limbs of conventional tolerance on its head. So we are concurrently banished from that place of comfort, comfortable intolerance towards others we find so unbearable and shown how we might confront and mistake the babbling intolerance of our age. I'm reminded of an uproar in New York City over the placement of Islamic center of shadow in the shadow of what first called the Freedom Tower and now we'll simply call the World Trade Center. The, the interfaith chapel within the center is was intended to unify and promote those lasting truths of peace, justice, mercy, compassion, love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. 
but this center, which stands in close proximity to the gleaming new pillars for global commerce, was not a tolerable idea for some. For them, it was a raw and painful reminder of our intolerance of one another and the violence such conflict and division can inflict. In the diverse age which we live, how then might we speak in many tongues about one shared and unifying plan to build a city that has long, has too long been a dream, drowned out by the aggressive babble of those who can only hear the non-step sound of their own voices and limited vision of their own window in the world. Two iconic people come to my mind, and the first in the form is a former astronaut and the first human to set foot on the moon, Neil Armstrong. His is a story of, a, of people who come together with a common plan and purpose. All who are about around the same time can recite the mem from memory the famous line in 1969 as Neil hopped onto the moon surface. He said, that's one step for man and one giant leap for mankind. But Armstrong always maintained he'd been misquoted and that this slight garbled radio transmission back to earth that had once left this, the, a small, one small world word inaudible on the tape recorder. So in 2006, a computer programmer ran a software analysis to measure the 35 millisecond sound wave that was much too quick to be heard by human ear and concurred. In fact, Armstrong's first word from the moon was, that's one step for a man. The leap in human achievement to reach the heavens was meant to be softened with little humility a part of one who had the most extraordinary window on the world but knew enough to say he was not the only one it seemed to me if god the gods were looking down on what now is a plain of babel they should not fear but rather praise us should we desire to tempt yet another leap for humankind and build that heavenly city and so I'm thinking of another iconic figure of our age, Nelson Mandela, a man who once took another leap for humankind here right on earth. He is one of the great figures of our age and already stands among the saints of nonviolent resistance to what is so intolerable about us. He did so with such a spirit, a spirit of joy, sustained with kind of endurance and hope of transformative power of reconciliation and love for his opponents that never in all his years of incarceration gave him a bitter place to dwell. Instead, he would one day lead entire nation from the doomed road of intolerance to a place of gentle tolerance. When Secretary of State Hillary Clinton visited Nelson Mandela in Johannesburg on the occasion of his 94th birthday, she exclaimed, that's a beautiful smile as she greeted the old and ailing man. It's his trademark, said his wife. It's what behind the, was behind the smile that Clinton reflected on in a speech given shortly thereafter to the students at the University of Western Cape. The talk had essentially urged the young South African audience to remember how they had to rebuild a, a society when apartheid could no longer be tolerated and not to lose sight of examples for both their own country and the world. But then it was taken to be some unscripted remarks that Clinton reflected on a very personal terms about the lessons she had just tried to convey to her audience. 
I've been around politics a long time, she said. It's easy to lose sight of the common humanity of those who oppose you. You get a feeling that your way is the right way and your agenda is the only one worth pursuing. It's come all too easy, she said with a smile, to dehumanize anyone who disagrees with you. So let's not be fooled by the story of Babel. The author might allude that the people reunited, they had one common goal, that they were tolerable to each other, but then why would God swoop in and cause division? The author obviously was only using the story to explain to the Israelites why there are many different languages, why there is division. A fable story that explains division with a beautiful underlying message of unity and what can happen if we all came together to build a utopia city. A lovely concept. Yet we haven't been able to rebuild. We are still living in a time where we are still intolerant of, of each other's differences, pulled apart by our own agendas, and willing to dehumanize anyone who disagrees with us. The pandemic has made it much worse for immigrants, the LGBTQ community, and for those who disagree with the, the government's decisions, vaccinations, or even the long-term side effects of COVID. So much disagreement, so much judgment, and so much pain. So how do we, how do we rebuild? How do we work together to create this heaven on earth? Perhaps it all starts with recognizing each other and our differences and building some kind of tolerance to each other. Perhaps it starts with recognizing that we can have a difference of opinion and not hate each other, putting our pride aside. Perhaps what we need to do is look at Jesus' teachings one more time, because after all, it's my hope that his teachings can make a difference and make a world, this world a better place. So first of all, Jesus said, reconcile with those who consider, um, you consider ignorant morons as a first priority. Nothing good can come of anything before that. And Jesus said, turn the other cheek. In the ancient world, to invite a backhanded slap would throw the presumed power of your opponent off balance. It was a means of non-violent resistance and reassured that God's way, not chaos and division, will prevail. Jesus said, don't just tolerate those you find intolerable. Love them. Love them like you would those who you find tolerable, even lovable. To sum up, Jesus says, you are to be open-handed in your generosity in the way your heavenly Father's generosity is generous. God does not pick and choose who they love. God is full of grace, unconditional love, and always tolerable. This is a plain and simple message for all of humankind. Cultural diversity is part of God's design, God's desire. One more aspect of creation that God spoke us into being. It is not the result of God's punishment. People desire uniformity. God desires diversity. We are not united by unpredictable human leadership, but united under the loving teachings of Jesus. God's full purpose of the world is revealed in the diversity of all creation human cultures included. Friends, we are but one small part of the whole, but through Jesus Christ with our sisters and brothers around the world, go out into the world knowing we can celebrate it all. Amen.
Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.